0: Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning back in. We are coming to you from Washington, D.C. for the March for Life, January 2023. Uh, Thanks for your guys' patience with uh, the new baby we just had. Um, I missed a lot of the episodes that I usually do. Uh, And so uh, we're, we're very excited. We welcomed our third child, Sophie Sunshine, on December 1st, 2022. But the podcast was lagging a little bit, so good to be back with all of you guys. And we're here for the first March for Life since the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And we'll be doing podcasts, interviews, some man-on-the-street stuff, try to poke poke some demons in the eye and make a public spectacle of the abortion industrial complex and their very stupid ideas. But, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts of this podcast, and I believe yours as well, is just awesome guests that we've had on the show who are doing such faithful work, who are who are putting flesh to the ideas that we always talk about here on Unaborted and are living as if babies are actually being killed. And so today's guest is Scott Horde of... Scott Hoard Ministries, based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And you may have seen him on social media before. Uh, He's often in the spotlight because of how on the front lines he is, regularly, if not daily, outside of abortion centers where children are killed. And now he's continuing to expand his ministry on a more national level because in Tennessee, abortion is now illegal. And so he's working with pro life sidewalk counselors, leaders, and Christians around various big cities and various states to mobilize the church to wake them up and to get them outside of the front lines. And so you know how dear love life is to me as a ministry. What Scott Hoard does is very similar. And so um, I wanted to have him on the show and share some stories of what God has done through him and his growing ministry outside of the doors of death. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. (laughs) Scott, welcome to the show, brother. Great to be here. Yeah, man, thank you for making time. Yeah. So uh, we we met at actually my first Turning Point USA Faith event, and that was actually built by my pastor Rob McCoy and Charlie Kirk, TP USA Faith, to get the church engaged in seeking righteousness, withholding wickedness at the political level in the public square. And this awesome church outside of uh, Nashville had you, me, and our friend Victoria Robinson right. almost a year ago, February 2022. And, uh, and I was just so encouraged by your message and by what you do. I I've followed your work closely on social media before seeing what you've done outside of, namely the Planned Parenthood in Nashville. That's right. but, but firstly, before you tell some of the divine stories of how God works when you simply are obedient, I, I always like to know how people got into this movement. Because as you and I know, it's like pulling teeth. Right. to get pastors to treat this issue like they pretend they would treat it if it was slavery, right? Or like they pretend they would live if they were hanging out with Bonhoeffer. But like, this is our litmus test today. This yeah. is our test as to how we will handle our Holocaust. Yeah. And so so because it's like pulling teeth, and I know you share those frustrations, what was your journey? Because I believe you were a pastor. That's right. <laughs> That's
1: right. I was one of those. Uh, it wasn't even on my radar. Hmm. So I've heard people uh, talk about the pro-life movement, heard some spatterings of people doing some stuff, but it just didn't register in my mind or in my heart. Uh, But what really hit me uh, was the Ferguson riots.
0: Hmm.
1: So the Ferguson riots uh, caused a lot of racial tension across our country, and it came into our churches. And so people began to ask hard questions. Hmm. Just, hey, what are we going to do with the racial tension? And so being a lead pastor, I was being asked that question. I had a young African-American man, asked me, Hey, what are you going to do? And uh, I said, well, I'm going to share Jesus and continue to share the gospel because that's the answer to racism. And he put his finger in my chest and said, that's not enough. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Why is Jesus not enough? Hmm. Do you not think he's the answer? And I put a question back to him. I was like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go pick it? You want me to hold a sign? I said, that's not who I am. And so It was a pretty heated conversation. Mm. It made me angry at the young man. The the question frustrated me. And so it led me to prayer. And uh, the next 24 hours I spent in prayer, really asking God for an answer to that question, but also asking God to remove the anger. Because I was really frustrated. A lot of people were frustrated during that time. We didn't know what to do. Uh, If you're a white person, you're like, hey, how do we, or a white church, how do we go connect with the African American church? You know, it was just, Mm. it was a strange time. Right. And uh, so the prayer uh, led me to God supernaturally responding and basically gave me two words and it was engage abortion. I was sitting in a Starbucks in Smyrna, Tennessee in the midst of a a lot of people I'm praying. And he really spoke. So it took a supernatural experience to take Mm. me from being very complacent on the sidelines, not responding, not even knowing where abortions were happening, where God speaks, not in an audible voice, but he pressed it upon my heart, those two words. So I Googled abortions. And uh, I didn't know where they were happening. In Smyrna, Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, Nashville. I didn't know. Found two locations and decided to go uh, that week. That yeah, the next day, and wow. didn't tell anybody because wow. I didn't know what I was doing.
0: Wow. Well, props to you for immediate obedience. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I, it, I don't it, like being miserable. Most people, as as you know, get quite frightened mm-hmm. when they're invited to join some of our mutual friends. Right. Outside of abortion centers, when a Christian is d- directly asked, "Will you join me outside the doors of death?" a lot of Christians, having never done that before, right, are very hesitant to say yes to that. Yeah. That's kind of scary for them. So well, the, the fact that you did that solo and so immediately, it's amazing.
1: Well, I was uh, there was fear, and you know I I'm used to engaging people. I have an evangelistic per- personality and gifting. Uh, but I was still nervous because I was going to an abortion facility. So what allowed me to go and cross through that that barrier of fear was, hey, I'll I'll go and pray hmm. and I'll just sit in my car. Okay. So I was gonna play it safe. <laughs> and so I drove up to this abortion facility. And what about, so what year are we in? Uh, we're probably seven years, seven and a half years ago, okay. eight years ago. Um, And so, yeah, eight years ago, 2015. So I pull up on this hill and there's a mom and a young daughter engaging people. I'm talking 12, 13-year-old daughter. The mom gets distracted. Um, The daughter is isolated. A young man that's there to abort his child comes out and begins to confront her in a hostile way. Hmm. And so I was forced out of my car uh, to engage and protect the young lady. Wow. So that's what brought me out because it was the right thing for a man to do to protect this is your
0: first day It's my first in. day so i go oh.
1: toe-to-toe with this guy and in a conversation and i corner him logically and spiritually and and every time i corner him he threatens me physically i'm like mm-hmm. hey i'm not here to fight and uh, so it went like that for two hours his girlfriend comes two out. hours yeah she aborted her child and that was the end of it and wow. so i'm sitting there and i'm like man what just happened and and so I left the facility, not really able to comprehend everything, went and put gas in my vehicle, and I looked at my hand. My hands were shaking. I was like, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And he just confirmed it right there, and he said yes. And Whoa. so it led me going back to this hill, learning the environment. The hill was called Hell's Hill.
0: No, it wasn't. Yeah, Hell's Hill, wait, abortion wait,
1: facility, two apartment complex. Wait, the
0: abortion center sits on a street or just a location called... So
1: you go up this hill, and on the left is this abortion facility, and then you have apartment complexes all around it. And the people that live there call it Hell's Hill (laughs) because there's drug addiction, prostitution, uh, drug deals going on, everything's going on. And so I learned this within a few weeks, and then the Lord begins to give me visions. That supernatural piece really plays into this because he says, take the hill back.
0: I'm like, okay,
1: you show me how to do it because I don't know what I'm doing. And that's where he gave me the three words, go in truth, uh, love, and humility. And focus on those three words. Don't compromise any of them. Don't go up there and give everybody a hug. Uh, And some people are going to need to be hugged, but they need truth. And so I focused on those three things, and it's those three words that have really... Resignated through those seven and a half, eight year journey I've been doing this.
0: Wow. Scott.
1: We took the hill back. We closed the facility. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You did. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, uh, there, there's this quote, I'm forgetting the person right now. It's been said by so many different people. It might have been Maya Angelou, who's kind of kooky, you know, spiritual leader. But when someone shows you who they are or tells you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of so, you know, <clears throat> and there's, this, there's always been this aspect of the, of the abortion wars where sometimes the enemy says the quiet part out loud and you have to scratch your head and go, pastors, churches, do, do you not see how obvious this spiritual battle is? Mm. Like, could the enemy of our souls be any clearer? Hell's hill, are you kidding yeah. me? That, you, you probably know this, Scott, there's an abortion center in Portland called Lilith Center. There's also an abortion fund that helps fundraise to pay for women's abortions. It's called the Lilith Fund. So you've got an abortion center and an abortion fund called the Lilith Fund. Do you know who Lilith was, bro? No. In Jewish folklore, she was a demon that killed babies and preyed on pregnant mothers. Oh, wow. Now, why in the world would an abortion center select that name for itself? Right. except to say the quiet part out loud. And it's, I mean, similar experience with you. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's so obvious sometimes, but I mean, I'm so grateful, Scott, for you seeing the horror and just simply responding. So tell us the ministry you started, where you went from there, yeah. from 20—well, so, I guess, when you say, 2015?
1: Yeah, 2015, <laughs> so I'm going out and not really sure what I could accomplish out there. And it eventually led to a rescue, a young lady named Tina. Uh, came over and talked to me and I got her to leave. We went and got an ultrasound. She saw her ultrasound and she said, hey, I'm going to keep him. And it was just an aha moment. Wow! And I went, okay, I can change somebody's mind. Yeah. And so that gave me great inspiration. It gave me more boldness. It gave me confidence to go back. And one turned into two to three to five to 10. Wow. And I realized that, all right, this is big, yep. and this is bigger than me, hmm. so uh because my commitment wasn't just to rescue the child uh to prevent the mom from aborting the the my commitment was, what are you struggling with? What do you need, and I will help and so Uh, I began to pay rents and and electric bills. And here I am, a lead pastor of a church of 250 people. I'm not making a lot of money, so I'm already broke. And so my wife's like, hey, where's our money going? (laughs) And so that led to a conversation uh, at the dinner table with my family, with my son, my daughter. And and they said, uh, is this dangerous? I was like, yeah, it's very dangerous. My wife gets threatened. And uh, my wife was like, well, we don't want you to go. And I said, I know. And so just kind of stared at her and it got quiet. She goes, but you're called to go. And I said, yeah, the Lord has called me to do this. She said, okay, go. And so there was hard moments because I was alone for, for most of that time in the beginning. And there were moments where I might have 10 people in front of me, 10 men as their girlfriends were aboard. At one time. Yeah, at one time. And I remember one time... So that
0: I, was a very busy abortion center. Oh, it's very and, busy. And very, this is Nashville.
1: And it's very personal. You're talking 10, 20 feet from the front door. And so I remember one moment, I was having this real hard moment with all these individuals. I looked at my car and the Holy Spirit spoke in that moment and just said, you can go. You can get in your car and go and go back to your coffee shop. And... I almost went, and, and and the Holy Spirit came back and said, "You can go, and you'll be miserable. Stay here." Wow. And uh, and so I committed, and said, "You know what? If I die here, I die here. Lord, I'm going to trust you to protect me." And so that's what He's done. You know, people. Have, I've had over seven guns pulled on me. I've had people try to run over me. I've, Whoa. Been hit with every color slushy known.
0: Wow. Sonic. So that's intense, Scott. Because I, I obviously. I've sidewalk counseled. I I don't do it every day. You know, day. I'm kind of in a different lane. Right. You know, God's expanded my territory where I'm, I'm getting in big stages on churches and trying to wake them up to do what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> but I've sidewalk counseled and I know a lot of people who do it full-time or regularly. And yet I don't... Uh, I mean, I'm sure some of our love life brothers, but I haven't had... I don't know too many people that could say had seven guns mm-hmm. pulled on them. That's another level. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So so you have been outside of the Nashville abortion center or abortion centers in general most days for how long?
1: Uh, When I started doing it as a lead pastor, I would go on kill days. You're right. And uh, the kill days were twice a week. I would go for four to five hours a time. So it caused tension in the church because the church is, hey, what are we paying you to do?
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, and so talk about wrong priorities. Yeah, and so it
1: generated a good tension in the church, and it forced our leadership to look at, hey, what are we paying you to do? What
0: did your obedience toward the Lord and commitment to the unborn end up doing in the spiritual climate of your church?
1: It was great. One, it it led to some great conversations, and. You know, the, the common term we hear is you'll hear pastors say, well, I'm called to shepherd my church here. Hmm. And it usually means behind the pulpit. Right. And so the, I, heard, I heard that so many times. I heard other pastors saying that like, hmm. well, I'm doing that, but I want to shepherd my church out from behind the pulpit onto the street where I am. Wow! And I want them to either come with me and engage darkness where I am, or go to your own abortion mill, whatever that right. is in your life and your calling, and go there. Right. But the ultimate call is it isn't for me to stand behind the pulpit and for you to sit in the pews. And so, wow! So, well, you
0: know what, Scott? The Levite and the priest were also on their way to the synagogue to shepherd their people. They just had to walk by a bleeding victim in order to do it.
1: Right. No compassion right <laughs> no compassion so those conversations um basically well the, the turning point was this pregnant moms started showing up in our church wow and of then, course of it, course and then babies started being born and so being on the street, I met the community. The Lord said, pray with everybody. So I was praying with everybody in the community. So I would go back on Sundays before church, before I preached, and I would pick up the people that wanted to come to church. Wow. And so I'd bring them to church, and, um, and they began to meet those people, and amazing testimony began to come from those relationships. So the church got on board. Hmm. And so now I'm a missionary of that church. I resigned from that church. And wow. now I'm a missionary. The biggest mistake I made was presenting it to the church because I didn't realize how many women had had abortions. There you go. So the day I presented it, um, two families got up and walked out.
0: Wow. Yeah, because
1: I didn't know yeah. that one in three, one in four yeah. people in our church were affected by it. Yeah,
0: and our, we were just talking about our friend Victoria Robinson yeah. who I had on the awesome. podcast before as well and who did that event with us at the at church in, in Franklin because as one of my colleagues says, Scott, pastor's silence on abortion does not spare his men and women hurt. It spares them healing. Mm. And yet it's the broken abortion victim in our churches that are usually used as the scapegoat for why pastors won't address it. And yeah. I know this from years of trying to plead with pastors to do something on the issue or let me share or something like this. One of the most common responses I used to get, Scott, was, oh, well, I, I don't want to shame and condemn right. the men and women in my church. And usually they just say women because they always forget that there's a man behind every murdered child as well. Uh, the women women in my church who are wounded by abortion. And I always thought that was the stupidest statement, mm-hmm. Scott, because it's like you're so you're assuming the only way to do it is hellfire and damnation? What mm-hmm. well, what are you talking about? You have an opportunity here, Pastor, to share the gospel to the broken and hurting men and women in your church who may have arranged the death of their child to preach the gospel in a way they've never heard it before, to be healed, redeemed, and now used as a voice for life. What are you t- You're using them as the reason to not address it? Actually, that's the very reason you should address the issue. Right. It's completely inverted. Yeah. And yeah. so, so many of
1: these men and women, and men, we need to say that, men yeah. suppress this pain, and they think it's just going to go away. So right. one of the families that walked out on me that day had vowed, Uh, They had an abortion seven years earlier and they vowed to never talk about it again. They visit my church for the first time. I introduced my ministry of what I'm doing. And so I didn't do a good job of it. But that story has repeated itself over and over again. I was uh, in a church in in the Nashville area and I was a guest speaker. And uh, there was a, a couple there visiting. They were in their 70s and they had aborted over 40 years ago and they vowed yep. to never talk about it again. Their first day visiting at this church, wow. I'm the guest speaker, and it sent them into a tailspin for two weeks, and they said, we gotta call Scott and have him over, and I went over there, hmm. and you know what it did? Healing. Yep. They suppressed that pain for 40 years, wow. and but healing took place, and so that's the beautiful side of what I do, And it really surprised me. It's kind of the unseen element I didn't expect is how many people have come to me, men and women who've aborted 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. uh, And they just need to tell me because they see me out on the street doing it. But it sparks something
0: and it leads to healing. And you know what?
1: My best people on the street next to me are those very people that have allowed healing to take place, who've gone yep. through Victoria's book or yep, gone through go. her ministry, and uh, and now they do what they do, and it's, it's amazing. Yep. yep, yep, that's right. Yeah, so two simple. questions come from it. In every instance that I've experienced that is these people have come to me with tears in their eyes. Um, is there mercy for me, and does the pain ever end? Wow. It's the same two questions every time. There is mercy in Christ. The pain does not end. But God can utilize the pain. He can redeem the pain and turn it into something good. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: Scott, one of the things that uh, our our brother Justin Reader once put so beautifully to me, I think he said it in a podcast, um, and uh, and I want I want to I want to say it to you now because I I know you've experienced what he said outside of the doors of death, but he, he once said. You know, when you start bringing pastors and Christians outside of these killing centers, who have never confronted the issue and probably didn't even know where children were killed in their city, he said, "You start seeing the change." Mm -hmm. And he said, "We started realizing, and what they started realizing is that while this this is the spirit of Moloch Mm -hmm. manifesting in our cities." While I've been preaching the gospel from my pulpit mm-hmm. to my people, the enemy has been taking ground, destroying families, ripping apart children. Yeah. But hey, at least I preach the gospel. Um, so there's always this weight of the spiritual warfare mm-hmm. that, that's almost tangible Right. when you're outside of these doors of death. Just for the people who tune into this, my little humble podcast here, Scott, and, and the Christians who've been mobilized for action through this show. And many people listen to this show, by the way, they're not like pro-life activists. They're just, they love the Lord and they're kind of starting getting awakened to right. the horrors of this. What would you share? just of what you've seen, experienced? Mm-hmm. What kind of manifestations have mm-hmm. there been? Mm-hmm. What kind of people have you interacted with? Mm-hmm. Any stories that, that speak to what you and I know to be true, but I think needs to be harped on and repeated. Th- this is Satan's pride and joy.
1: No doubt, no doubt. I realized early on that there's a certain checks and balances that I have to go through to be able to stand on the street and do it consistently for a long time. And so the reason I say that is because you're just not going out and putting coats on somebody. You're not just going out and feeding the poor. It's, you're literally going to what many people would call the gates of hell. It is utter darkness. So for me, it's an hour drive into Nashville. Hmm. I take that hour and I go through a checklist of love, humility, and truth. Am I loving? Am I honoring love, which is God? Uh, am I humble? Have I looked at the plank in my own eye before I look at uh, the speck in somebody else's eye? And am I bold enough and courageous enough to speak truth? And am I honoring truth? If Hmm. I'm not consistent in those three, I turn around. Hmm. The other thing that the Lord gave me was um, king face, warrior face, servant face, and friend face. Uh, Hmm. Is Jesus king? Does he truly have all authority? If I can say yes to that in that day, I go, um, warrior face. Do I realize the battle that's going on that I'm not going and just giving clothes away or food away, but I'm going into the heart of darkness where children are being mutilated and, and it's, and there's a spiritual component to it. That's just so dark. Mm. Do I realize the battle? If I, if I realize that I go, um, Uh, lover face, Love, the friend face, am I exuding compassion? Mm. And the last one is servant face, am I willing to go the distance with whatever's in front of me? And so uh, I go through all of those things. And if I'm not consistent in all those, I'll go home. And so uh, there are days where I get there and, I, and as I train people, I'm like, hey, there's a time to fight darkness and then there's a time to flee. Mm. And so there's been times where we've seen, we've seen manifestations of things where I've looked at the people around me and said, it's time to go. Go get in your cars and we're leaving. Whoa! And so you've got to understand that the enemy is strategic in setting up traps. And there's a time to leave and run away from those traps. And then there's a time to sit there and do battle. So there's a supernatural component of this that it's, it's just amazing. And for me as a pastor, what it going to the street and what it's done for me is realize that there's no limits to what God can do, no limits to His love. It actually bought, brought a belief back in me that miracles can happen because hmm. oh, we wow. we've seen miracles. So we've had moments where uh, we had a guy and a girl come into a board and— Uh, The young lady went in. uh, The guy went in. But then the young lady came back out to get something out of her car. And so I had a moment to talk to her. And uh, she went back in and then she came out again, had a moment to talk to her. And uh, she goes back in and they come back out. And the boyfriend is in a rage. So they get in a car. They're in two separate cars, actually. And they get in one car and I think he's going to hit her. And so... We're getting ready to intervene, we're videoing, and all of a sudden, he gets out of the car, she drives away, gives me a thumbs up, she's gonna keep the child. He is in a rage, and he's pulling out of the parking lot, and he rolls down his window, he yells at me, where's the interstate, and I tell him where to go. That's on a Friday, he leaves. We gotta rescue him, right, it's awesome. But then I get a call, on that sunday and a guy says hey scott my friend's really struggling he lives in birmingham alabama three hours south and uh i said he is he says yeah i think you're the one that can help him i'm like all right give him my number and have him call me so on monday i get a phone call and this guy calls me and he's telling me about his life issues with his girlfriend and I'm like, man, this is kind of strange. And uh, so I I stopped the conversation and said, hey, man, were you in, you're in Birmingham. He said, yeah. I said, were you in Nashville Friday? He goes, yeah. (laughs) And uh, I said, were you in an abortion facility? He goes, yeah. How do you know? (laughs) And I said, I'm your guy. He goes, what do you mean? I said, remember you wanted to kill a guy. He goes, yeah. I said, I'm that guy. And he goes, you're that guy? And I said, yeah. I said, before you hang up, you called me. And I said, how did this happen? And there's a weird pause and he goes, God? And I went, yeah. Let me tell you about my God. Wow. <laughs> and so that was one of the first miracles. Think about that. That is a wild. That guy left that abortion facility mad and he wanted me dead. <laughs> and he went back to Birmingham. Four days later,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> And he calls me wow. and, and asks for help. And we end up talking. And so I never heard from him again, but we had a moment where a guy and a girl were in a car and the window was cracked and the guy was sitting in the passenger seat. And I'm like, man, that's just enough room for the gospel to get through. So I'm throwing the gospel right through that crack. And this guy gets out, big guy's he's intimidating. He's got corn rolls. And I'm like, oh man, the people around me are, oh gosh, this guy's intimidating. And, and he just stares at me, no emotion. He gets back in the car. He leaves the window, cracks. I keep bringing the gospel. I quote Psalm 139. Talk about how the child was intricately woven in the womb. Talk about how the child is fearfully, wonderfully made. And all of a sudden, the car begins to shake. And I think, oh my gosh, is he hitting her? What's going on? There's so much emotion in the car. And the guy throws open the door and he's looking at me. And he's this massive individual. And I'm like, okay, here it goes. And uh, he starts walking towards me, no emotion. He gets right up to me and he throws his arms out, and he grabs me and, and hugs me and starts crying. And I'm standing there going, oh no, <laughs> what's going on? And I'm like, brother, what's going on? He said, we've never felt the baby move. He said, you quoted some scripture, and when you started quoting the scripture, the baby started jumping in my girlfriend's womb, and she jumped, he jumps out of the car, she jumps out of the car and comes over, and there's about seven or eight of us. We're in a circle, and she presents the gospel to us, and we're all bawling. And they leave, and they keep that child. Whoa. And so, I mean, it was— What like, a testimony. I mean, it was just amazing.
0: That, 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 that baby's going to have a hard time walking away from the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Their parents tell her that story. That yeah. is incredible. Wow. Yeah,
1: and I have one more where I had a uh, mom and a daughter— Pull in, and I stopped in the car. And I was on the daughter's side. She's 17 years old, and I, I, I said, "What's your name?" And she says, "It's Amarni." And I said, "Oh, do you know what your name means?" And she goes, "No." I said, "It means peace." And I knew that because I, I was going to visit an orphanage in Africa called a Marty's children's home. And hmm. I go, what does that mean? I looked it up. It's a Swahili word for peace. Wow. And so I told her what peace was. I said, peace, isn't just a removal of something, but it's completion and fulfillment of God. And all of a sudden the mom gets real emotional and she's crying. I'm like, what's going on? And she said, 17 years ago, I was here and I was going to abort her and an angel intervened. And here I am 17 years later here to abort again, and God has intervened.
0: Wow. they kept that child. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Isn't that good? That's amazing. (laughs) And and what I I love about what you do, Scott, and why I wanted more people to be exposed to what you're doing is look what God can do when one man says yes, right? Yeah. But you know what the tragedy is, is it's true the other way. Right. Look what the enemy can do. When one man says yes to evil. Margaret Sanger's Yes to Evil in 1915, in her first published piece, Woman Rebel, No Gods and No Masters. Wow, did that uh, did that yield a lot of wickedness? Yeah, you the know, fruit of that <laughs> is. Thomas still Malthus's going. Yes to Evil. In the late 1700s. Oh my, Paul Ehrlich's yes to evil and the population bomb in 1963. Mary Calderon's yes to sex and pornography in 1964 when she started the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States, which produces all the pornographic sex ed in our schools today. All of these men and women's yes to evil has upended society. It has broken down our country and murdered millions of children and destroyed the livelihoods, the spiritual health, the physical health of countless families. And so as I often say, why won't we do for good what the other side so passionately will do for evil? Um, Why won't we be as dogmatic about our public faith in the public square as the secular humanist religion is for their faith in the public square? And so you're you're just as awesome example to me, brother, and to so many others, just of the simplicity of a yes and the power um, what God can do through one man's yes. And of course, you know, the scriptures that. filled with stories of that too. So you guys here, you got one brother here. Now mm-hmm. he's, now you've coached and raised up how many different people that are doing the same thing you're doing now? Yeah, I'm
1: traveling all over the country and a big part of my ministry is just encouraging the church. The Church in Seattle, Washington, in Everett Washington, in Boston uh, in Philadelphia is they're not encouraged in Carbondale, Illinois is a, a small town, four miles in diameter now uh, six months ago had zero abortion facilities today has three with two more coming in. Whoa, so the church is, is struggling yep. the church in that area, and so my responsibility right now is just to encourage. The pastors encourage the church, hey, get engaged, stay engaged. You're not forgotten. We in Tennessee that aren't experiencing abortions now haven't checked out, but now we're going to put our resources and we're going to come to you. We're going to partner with you and do this fight. So part of my journey now is Uh, Just traveling the country, encouraging the people that are on the street, and I'm planning missionaries on the street, uh, doing what I do full-time. A lot of people don't realize you can do this full-time. You can quit your construction job. I've had a farmer in West Tennessee quit farming. Wow, He's had over 40 rescues. in memphis and in that area wow and now he's a full-time missionary and just hired his first staff wow and so i just planted a missionary in san diego yeah um Mm -hmm. and lamar he's doing fantastic and so he used to sell insurance wow and then our friend Bo.
0: yeah you know? So how many missionaries have you planted now? Have you worked 13, thirteen? And the goal is wow. what?
1: There's what six hundred something abortion facilities across our country. I think there's four hundred something Planned Parenthoods. Right. So I want six hundred missionaries. There's no reason why the church can't put six hundred missionaries constantly yeah. and consistently yeah. outside of these facilities because once you get a person there, they understand the heartbeat, they understand yeah. what's going on. It should be laughably And they can easy. train people. Yeah. To see a facility that's killing children day to day and not have a Christian there during that time, it sickens me. And and that's what happened to me as a pastor. I realized, hey, I'm sitting here having coffee with you in a coffee shop, but nobody's at Planned Parenthood and there's a child dying. I'm I'm working with your issue. Maybe you're smoking weed or you're cheating on your wife or something. I don't know. But I got to where I didn't want to be here. Hmm. And And I couldn't sit at the table knowing that a child was dying there and so i had to deal with that as a pastor and the lord says no you're free to go wow and so we've got to realize that we have to contend for these children because if there's an abortion facility that's not being um, fought for from a christian perspective against that facility yeah. yeah covered then what does that say to our society? They drive by and it's just another Burger King, it's just another Walmart. Yep. But if there's one Christian there, then every person that drives by looks at yep. that person and they have to say to themselves, "Am I for that person or am I against them? Am I right. for that place or am I against it?"
0: Well, it puts a dividing line in the sand, right? And, it puts and we the have issue front to and center. do that now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I, that's why I love what Love Life says, and I've said it many times from pulpits. Um, what if we had ten Christians? from every, uh, 10 Christians from any city outside of their city's abortion centers, every day they're open, offering the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church. I mean, what would that do to the spiritual climate of the country? What would that do to centering this issue in the American consciousness again? The activist media that I call journalistic prostitutes for the culture of death couldn't avoid scratching that itch. They would have to cover it. Um, and so that, anyways, it's, we're failing to tear down Satan's sacrament, yeah. is what I call it. So you want? I don't. So that's why I don't want to hear from you, pastor, anything about spiritual warfare from the pulpit. I don't want to hear you talk about pure and undefiled religion. I don't want to hear you talk about the Great Commission. If if you have ignored this issue wholesale, you have no authority on which to speak. You are the Levite and the priest. <laughs> the parable of the good samaritan who instead of walking by you drive by Mm -hmm. on the other side of the road but unlike the good samaritan who didn't know where the bleeding victim would get beat up you know every day when and where innocent human beings are scheduled to die and broken and hurting families are showing up as as our friends at love life always say this is this these are mission fields yeah. And to treat them as anything less is, I think, failing to realize their Christian duty. So that's why I'm so grateful for you. Scott, uh, how many babies has God used you to save that you know of? In
1: the Nashville area, over 400. We just had a rescue in Carbondale last week. And, and then
0: you just, you kick them out, right? And, and you say, good luck raising that yeah. kid. I'm only pro-birth, right? And you yeah. say, go deal with it. That, that's what you're going to say. Yeah, see. we leave that, them
1: right? to themselves. Yeah, no, at the very, from the very beginning, since my first rescue, we've walked with the moms. Yep. And so we walk with the moms. We watched the children. Uh, Tina's son now is uh, seven years old. Wow. Your first rescue. Yeah, he's beautiful. And uh, it's fun watching them grow up. And, you know, I've held them. I've watched them grow up. Yep. Um, uh, Austin Jay, the first rescue, I talked to him on the phone the other day, and I've never talked to one. Really? So for the first time, he said hi. And (laughs) almost fainted. (laughs) (laughs) I just started crying. I was like, wow.
0: He's coming amazing. into
1: being a boy. He's going to be a man.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Wow, brother. Where can uh, people learn mm-hmm. more about Scott Horde Ministries? ScottHorde.com. And where can they contribute? Same place. It's
1: ScottHorde.com. Okay. It's all there. So, Good. yeah. Would love to come visit your church, come visit you on the street, encourage you to show you how I do what I do to. <laughs> Uh, Help your church, your community move out and fight this. Well, good. And let
0: me say, piggyback on that as we close, Scott. For any pastors listening who have had me out at your church or um, who listen into this podcast, uh, listen. Addressing the issue from the pulpit is actually step one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many pastors they use Sanctity of Life Sunday as their checkbox, right, mm-hmm. Scott? I preached on life, so hopefully, hopefully Scott Horde and the Pregnancy Center stays away from me because I did my pro-life right. thing. That's actually just step one. What if, right. if this is a Holocaust and these are children? Then what's what's your response going to be? So consider Scott Hord as as a as a resource to you, an invaluable resource for training, for mobilization, for inspiration, for encouragement. And for experience to actually get the church outside on the front line. So, ScottHoard.com. Did we get it right? That's right. Scotthorde.com. All right, brother. Well, thanks for being here for March for Life this week. We're excited to work with you. Any closing words?
1: No, man. I'm excited about what you're doing, and uh, let's keep doing it. You're in your lane, I'm in my lane. And you bring those two lanes together. We need all that to accomplish this yeah. and work together to fight this darkness because you know what? Darkness is strategizing, they're planning. And they're doing it more so than we are. That's right. And we need to change that now. And it starts with stuff like this.
0: That's well said. Very well said. Well, I can't put it better than that. Thank you guys for tuning in to the show today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps. I'm getting shadow banned like crazy on TikTok and Facebook and basically every platform. So help get the word out there. Share the clip. Share the podcast. Leave leave us five stars. Believe it or not, it actually really helps. It drives it up the ratings. More people see it. We appreciate that. Um, If you're one of those awesome people who listen to this podcast and you're like, Seth, my church doesn't do anything. Uh, sh- share this episode. I think it would be hard for a pastor to listen to this, Scott, and not feel convicted. Mm-hmm. You talk about the crowns, the, the the diamonds in this brother's crown. You talk about all the children who will be hugging him in heaven one day. Good Lord. that Those are those are eternal seeds. And uh, hopefully this message encourages your pastor and your church as well. If you want to book me for an event or see my speaking schedule, go to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in babyboyer.com. And um, to follow me on social media, Find all the platforms, uh, share it, help me prevent being shadow banned. We will be coming to you with more amazing interviews from our week here in Washington DC for the March for Life. Until next episode, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.